I'm Jerry. Welcome to the BlizzCast. 2018 marks the 38th year for BlizzFest. Has it been a long, strange trip? BlizzFest founders Will Michaels and Jim Gillespie are going to give us a blistery lesson. Now, in 1981, a gallon of gas was a buck 25. Hollywood B movie actor Ronald Reagan became president. It was the first flight of the space shuttle Columbia. Post-it notes were launched by 3M. Scientists identified the AIDS virus. MS-DOS was released by Microsoft. And IBM launched its first PC, which also used MS-DOS. The term Internet was first mentioned. Simon and Garfunkel reunited for a concert in Central Park. And on August 1st, 1981, some say that music was changed when MTV Music Television signed on the air. But a month earlier, there was a gathering in a potato field in Bliss Township, July 5th, 1981. That was the very first Bliss Fest. It changed music in northern Michigan, giving everyone a Bliss attitude. There's a hole in the roof, there's a hole in my heart, holes in the soles of my shoes. There's a rain cloud bearing down, I'm gonna turn it round. What else have I got to lose? There's trouble on the right, there's trouble on the left. Stampede's coming on through. Over my shoulder comes a rolling boulder. Yes, it is, it's time to move. Get in the groove, get a bliss attitude. Smile to yourself and laugh at the blues. Let the sun shine, shine through. Life is easy, get a bliss attitude. Get in the groove, get a bliss attitude. Smile to yourself and laugh at the blues. Let the sun shine, shine through. Life is easy, get a bliss attitude.
Welcome to another edition of the BlissCast. I'm Jerry. Today we're going to be giving a history lesson, a little blistery. We're with the founders of the Bliss Fest at the Bliss Fest office, Will Michael, Jim Gillespie. Welcome, guys. Hi, Jerry. It's been Thank a long you, time since 1981. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. Time flies when you're having fun. I was looking at something. This is just something to think about for people. Bliss Fest is a few months older than MTV. OMG. I didn't know that, Jerry. MTV <laughs> Fun started Fun MTV fact. started in August of 1981 <laughs> and the first Bliss Fest was in July of 81, so I, I guess you were ahead of the curve. It makes yeah. me want to look at one of those birthday cars that says this was going on in 1981. Yes. Yeah, 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 you, you know all the <laughs> what things was that the were hit? going on and, and I don't know what made me look at that, but I, I looked and I said, "Wow, beat it by a month." Let's go back to 1981. That's when it all started. Take the Bliss time machine back. Well, we take the Bliss, yeah, the do 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 as we take the time machine back. Yeah. Jim, at the time, you were working for the Grain Train? Yes. At the time, in 1981, I was the general manager of the Grain Train, which had just kind of recently moved to its storefront on Howard Street, 421 Howard Street, and had become an actual retail store after being kind of a buying club for quite a few years, I think almost eight or 10 years. And so it became a legit retail operation in downtown Petoskey. So yeah, that was just off the main street there. Uh, now what's there? Uh, the, Julian the Tomatoes. Julian Tomatoes is there, yeah. that's right. Oh yeah. I was gonna say, yeah, good food still there, right. Excellent, yeah, so we took over the whole building as part of our lease arrangement. And so not only did we have the, the first floor for retail, we uh, did a lot of work on the second floor rehabbed it and you know refinished the wood floors and the wainscoting and made that a pretty spot and even the third floor we turned that into a little apartment it, it became hippie central okay. <laughs> in 81 yeah <laughs> and then bill chime in here i mean uh you, you got to the area around yeah. that time too heck well i want to take it back a couple more years because i moved up here in 78 and it wasn't too long after that that the Bliss School history started. But at the time, when I moved up here, one of my first jobs was in the restaurant, Mercado Cafe, that was in the grain train. And then I kind of morphed into being a coordinator doing books and, and supplements was my job pretty much. For the, the grain, grain train, train and itself, And we worked yeah. together through that period. Right. So Jim and I, that's where our relationship started. And so we were part of that whole thing evolving into the Spectrum Center, which was a second floor sort of coffee house music venue, right. as well as building a sauna on the third floor and all this right, other right. stuff that and i came you know yeah if we back up I, I i grew up in petoskey and then i left for 10 years to get a couple of degrees from colleges and stuff and i came back with my bs in anthropology and my mph my master in public health in 1979 so i came okay. back home and just kind of wanting to experience uh, a nice place and as opposed to getting a job downstate as a bureaucrat. I made that decision and, and was able to get uh, to uh, 
work at the grain train, I guess because of my overeducation. But that was in 79, and, and they subsequently moved to that storefront, and, and Will and I became co-workers as well as fast friends. What was the Bliss Alternative School? Well, the, the little bit of history about that, and it's interesting, it'll come back around, but I lived in Bliss. One of the things that people don't really realize is I moved to Bliss not randomly, but because it was called Bliss. It was part of my spiritual history, and my teachers always thought of the ultimate was to be in a sort of mental nirvana bliss kind of thing. And there's a whole story, I won't even go into it, it, how that actually came about. It was just a very synchronistic, to me, spiritual path that got me into that property up there. But it wasn't too long after I moved there, and I also had advanced degrees, and a local family, uh, who are part of our whole history, actually, approached me about starting a school because they weren't happy. They had five kids. They weren't happy with the public school, and they were just chomping at the bit to get some alternative for their kids particularly. And I also was had moved up here because I was I and a partner were pregnant with a child. And so I initially was a little overwhelmed with the idea of starting a school. It wasn't something I had on my mind or at all. But when they said, well, we actually have a teacher. Her name is Nancy Decker, and she's willing to become our school teacher, one-room type of school teacher. That took me another step in the direction, and we decided to go ahead and do all the stuff with the state and that was required to start a school at that time. And so that family, and basically in a group of maybe five or six other parents, started the school. And that school actually took place on the property that myself and a couple other people had bought. And that was right up in Bliss boarded right on the south side of Wilderness Park. So it was in the woods, very much secluded, interesting situation. And as we'll get around to, that same family owned the property that we now have the Bliss Fest on. And that's kind of an ironic kind of twist mm-hmm, in things because yeah. they had moved to Texas, which is why the school ended, because those five tuitions, when that left our base of income, and there were no charter schools at the time, or we would have still probably be going. But when they left, they pretty much put us in a financial position where the teacher couldn't survive. So that was a year and a half, actually two and a half years later. But So that was part of when Jim and I, when I started talking to Jim about doing a fundraiser, knowing what he knew about the mus- musical scene up here and his connections with Wheatland, and he can talk more about that. He agreed to help me out and help the school out and... That's where we started. So there was a group of musicians that would play at the Spectrum Center that would get together and jam? Right, right. Okay. And we we had kind of developed a coffeehouse situation upstairs from the grain train. And actually it was uh, not only coffeehouse, we had uh, a film guild there. We we had movies uh, that we would get from the U of M library, you know, some really cool stuff, you know. And we also had uh, dance classes and had other classes up there. You know, so it was. You know, it was. It was. Uh, it was developing into its own entity of a, of an arts organization. Who were some of the local musicians that are maybe still around that were there? I mean, were oh there? Oh my gosh! Well, Kirby for sure. Kirby, sure. yeah, okay. absolutely. Kirby, Steve August, I think, came in there. Uh, so some of the local guys, Alan Hewitt, probably stopped by too. Um, so, and some of these people have gone on to have long careers in music. You know? Yeah, but. It was it was a a place to and it was also I mean kind of the place where people could do some roots music. It was kind of the beginnings of that whole scene in in Petoskey. 
people who would uh, bring fiddles or banjos, which were kind of unusual at the time, you know, to have that kind of instrumentation. I was learning how to play the mandolin at, by then and uh, had brought that concept of, a, of an outdoor festival in my head kind of as a seed from my involvement with Wheatland down at uh, CMU, Central Michigan University. It was kind of a, a real interesting combination with Will being up in bliss and me having this idea of, of doing a, an outdoor festival. It just kind of came together pretty synchronistically to do it. Yeah. So the first year, how long did you actually, was it from when Will came and said, can we do this, to the time it went off in July? Were, wow. were you talking a couple months? Were you talking a month? Were you talking? I mean, how much planning went into that first one? Well, it was it was back in the day where I think Legs In was open year round. Okay, uh-huh. and I think we I I remember having some meetings at the Legs In, and it was early spring. You know, it was like maybe in April or or May. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, where we really got serious. And the first event was actually the day after the Fourth of July. It was on the July fifth, and it was just a day event. So it was one day. And there's these great pictures of me and my old Datsun truck that, you know, there's like a trash can and, and risers for a stage and, and, you know, basically the entire festival in the back of a, of a Datsun pickup truck. So it, it was uh, a committee of probably, you know, Dave Hokey was around. You know, uh, Kirby, I don't, think, I don't think Kirby was at the first one. I think Kirby came on board the second one. But it was a, it was a small, small committee, and mostly it was the people like uh, – Margaret and, and Becky Hoke and, and people like that who were working Vicky, at the Grand Vicky, Train. O'Donnell Vicky O'Donnell at the time. Yep, yep. So it was it was a lot of the staff of the Grand Train and people who were part of the Spectrum Center who were musicians that really kind of were the, the guiding committee for What was that. the ticket price for the first one? God, I think it was $5. <laughs> $5? Like like I don't recall. I, I think uh, uh, if I go grab the... Uh, poster that's hanging on the wall there i can tell you what bands were there it was it was pretty amazing i'll go do that when will's talking i'll grab it because it it it, uh the flyer itself is classic so after the first one was there the intention to have more to make an annual event or did you just say well we'll see how this one goes well you know after any festival you you kind of collapse right and we did and and we just went wow now that was an experience you know and of course there's the amazing connection and the camaraderie and and all the fun that you have, you know, and and then on the other hand, it's like, oh, how are we going to pay these bills? We didn't really quite get enough money, you know. And are, should we do this again? Is this sustainable? <laughs> we weren't using that word back then, but you no. know, that was the deal, you know. It was kind of in limbo, uh, you know. I remember saying a couple of times, like, "This is crazy. I'll never do this again," <laughs> you know, kind of a thing. But then start you start to get phone calls from people, and I remember in the winter time, people would call and say, "Hey, are you gonna you gonna do that Bliss Fest again?" You know, and and we'd kind of go, "Oh, well, maybe yeah. we should try it again. Let's yeah. try it again," you know, and and let's let's call the farmer and see if we can use some of his property, you know, and. And Al Reese was such a great guy. He was a MSU graduate. He was the local farmer that let us use property that he was leaving fallow for that year as a good rotation type plan, you know. So the second year, we went to a new potato field and it was just down the road. In fact, ironically, one of our, you know, big supporters, the whole the Holbein family, they bought that property and they, you know, they've got a house there now and, and stuff like that. But that was the, the site of the second annual Bliss Fest. And we, and we turned it into a weekend event that year. 
and we had as our headliner Iowa Rose and Riffraff. You know, they were our headliner. I think that was also the first year Josh White Jr. was I believe part so, of yeah. our. And so we moved there, and it was one of those years where it, I think it started raining at 6 p.m. on Saturday night, and it didn't stop until 6 p.m. on Sunday. <laughs> and we didn't have much of much of a stage, you know. We had a parachute for a covering, <laughs> so it was a wet one. There wasn't that many people there. There was probably three, four hundred people, maybe at the most, probably three. So that was the year we ended up moving to Legs Inn. We called up uh, Alex Smolak, who was the owner at the time, and he said, "Oh, sure, come on down, come on." Down. <laughs> so you moved the Bliss Fest yep. to Legs Inn. That was the year that we had the Costabella Cloggers that came up no not costabella they were the eaten drain cloggers i'm sorry eaten drain cloggers and that was ron and jan fowler and dale and maureen scott yes we had heard of them and they lived down in lansing at the time and since that second bliss fest they've come to all of them because they they decided to move up to northern michigan both both of those couples and and raise their family up here that, so that was kind of board. A amazing uh, you know thing yeah that that second year was uh quite uh, an experience as well and of course we lost money <laughs> again <laughs> but we had a hell of a time despite yeah. the rain you know even even a rainy festival is, is better than no festival right you know? yeah. yeah you know it and it started getting a following you know and so so the first year was actually in bliss well I'll, in the I'll, I'll, yeah in the township yeah, in okay. the first I'd seven yeah first i'd seven. say the first seven years for We're sure in township because we moved from that second fallow field, we moved to a third fallow field. On Pleasant View Road. Yeah, and then Al, who's still around, by the way. I, he comes to the festivals every year. Yeah, yeah. he lives in Wisconsin, but he comes back. Yeah. But he told us, well, that field isn't really working for me, so you guys can just keep that field. And that's where we kind of set our roots for a while. And right. Built a stage, got some electricity. electricity yeah. and, we were putting infrastructure in there. Yeah, and yeah. we were feeling at home until... You can yeah, explain that a little call. bit. I mean, we did the uh, the third, fourth, fifth, and sixth festivals there, and in 1987, actually, it was the seventh festival. We 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 did the seventh seventh festival there. And it was a really a cool little spot, you know. And we were probably up to maybe a thousand people by then. We had we had developed a following and uh, still hadn't made any money. Uh, we were but we were kind of breaking even. You know, so it was kind of like, okay, this isn't this isn't horrible now. We can at least pay for the Porta Johns. You know, yeah. <laughs> we ran the stage on uh, two one thousand watt generators. The lights were on one generator, and the sound system was on the other. I remember it was. I think it was like eighty seven. This incredible thing happened where uh, Iowa Rose, or I, no, it was. Uh, it it, it could have been. Um, yeah, it was Iowa Rose. They were they were finishing up. They were the last band of the night. They were on the last song. They were on like the last chord, and both generators ran out of gas. And so it was like this flicker. The lights flickered, and the sound system went, rawr, rawr, and then all of a sudden, black, boom, done. <laughs> and it was, we all we were looking at. We did. Oh, we forgot to put gas in. <laughs> they couldn't do an encore. <laughs> no encore. <laughs> that was in '87 or '86. It was hilarious. So by this time, you're working for community mental health. Uh, not, quite. not quite. I think there was a transition there. I, I started working for community mental health in 89. Okay. And I quit grain training in like 87. Okay. So I had a couple years where I tried to, tried to be a nutrition consultant or something. Well, and somewhere along the line, you get a phone call. And you had started to put infrastructure into the property. 
Oh, yeah. You had right, mentioned right. Oh, you know, electric and right, stage. Right, right. And you get a call that says, you're having this festival on my property? Right. This was in like August after we'd had the festival, okay, in, in 1987. This guy called and said, hey, I own that property, and I heard you're having a big rock and roll festival up there at 10,000 people. <laughs> I went, well, not exactly. It's a folk festival, and there might be 1,000 people there. He says, well, that's my property. And I went, oh, well, we thought it was Al Reese's property. And he said, no, it's, it was leased. And I'm going to sue you. <laughs> and then we went, uh-oh, <laughs> what, whoa, uh, Buckley. So uh, we contacted the farmer, and he, he did uh, fess up that, yeah, that's leased property, but, you know, that guy never comes up here. What the hell? Yeah. So we basically went there as soon as possible, and we, we took down as much infrastructure as we could. We, we took the stage down, and uh, what we didn't take with us, we burned. We wrapped wire around our bumpers and tried to pull that out of the ground you know we basically got out of there as fast as we could and what was really ironic was that howard rice who was a friend of mine who I, who, who had moved up to the area about the time i came back up and i met him and he was involved in the grain train and he was a good dude and he he and i got involved in kayaking he turned me on to kayaking he's still a crazy world traveler kayaker but he had purchased that farm uh, actually from the Bell family, who, who uh, Will mentioned were part of the alternative school. So he'd purchased that property where we are now, and he invited us to come there and, and uh, you know hang our hats there since we didn't have a place to go. Yeah. So that's how we got to Redmond Township. From, and so it's uh, about seven miles away. 